This is the Woman of Revelation series with a friend of Megagoria. Of what I believe our economic situations are, it's not my personal opinion. You know, people say, well, that's your opinion. It's not my opinion. Okay, it's fact, it's principle. When we do and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be given to you. All your needs, in other words, will be met. What's the requirement? To honor God's commandments. Get real. Get real, people. Get real Christians. That was a friend of Medjugorje on February the 18th, 2010. Welcome to the Woman of Revelation series. Tonight's broadcast is titled, Have We Caused the Economic Problems as Christians? This broadcast actually was within the first two months of the beginning of Medjugorje. Those of you who have followed a friend of Medjugorje for quite some time, you have gone through this formation. We know that there are a lot of new people across the world who may not have received this formation, which is offered in tonight's broadcast. But also for those of us who have been following a friend of Medjugorje for some time, tonight's broadcast is a good refresher for us not only to see what we have to change, but also to help identify some of the reasons why things have happened the way they have. A friend of Medjugorje talks very strong about a topic which has been covered in almost every single one of these broadcasts that we have been sharing with you. Tonight, we understand the reason for the economic problems which have happened. And so this is a friend of Medjugorje, February the 18th, 2010. I want to welcome everybody once again to our show. We have hearing from more and more people and telling other people about the show is getting a lot of interest, especially because one of the things that is of interest to everyone today is economics. And uh, the church has to run by it. The world runs by it. Uh, and it was so important of a principle how we should look at this, that Jesus taught it to be attitudes. A lot of it was about that, about the poor, about what we're to eat. And, of course, Matthew 6, our lady's saying to do this every Thursday. Uh, we can't overemphasize this because everything's tied to that. Mammon, money, and God. And those two things have to go in harmony with working for the kingdom of God, not for the kingdom of mammon. So it's real important that we focus on this, and this show's prospering in the sense that it's helping people to be stabilized. And I think we want to start off right off the bat something in a book, and it's real apical to start our program off with. Jennifer Roback Morse, an economist and the author of Love and Economics, says that the family plays a unique an indispensable role in building a healthy marketplace. This might sound obvious, but the significance of this statement is lost on most economists. To the extent that they take the family into consideration at all, they see it as a group of consumers. They think, for instance, that tax relief for families is good for the market because it gives families more money to spend on goods and services. This may be true, but it's a very inadequate explanation. When Morse says that the market needs the family, she means the family's role in molding character and transmitting morals and values. A culture in which the family is so weakened that it cannot effectively perform these most basic of functions will feel the consequences in the marketplace. The most obvious example of the relationship between the family as moral tutor and the marketplace is promise-keeping. As Morse puts it, the market order needs people who will keep their promises, people who are trustworthy and who can trust. In other words, 
people who have consciences. Without conscience, there's no reason to believe that the other party will honor agreements. And a marketplace where no one's word is good must depend solely on the courts to enforce contracts. That market cannot operate in an efficient manner if it can operate at all. Without the goodwill and trust that are enforced by conscience, the energy and resources that would otherwise be devoted to entrepreneurship are spent on keeping a wary eye on the other guy. The source of all well-formed conscience is, of course, the family. It's in the family, first and foremost, that we learn self-control and regard for others. In the first two years of life, children are taught to pay attention to what others, particularly their mothers, think about them and their actions. Later, the family builds on this lesson and provides conscience with a specific content, such as the Ten Commandments and other moral precepts. The family upholds and reinforces these standards. And in this environment, young people learn to be the kind of people that you can trust in a healthy marketplace. Parents of young children need to remember this if they are tempted to work longer hours than are necessary outside the home. And if we hear people denigrating the worth of full-time child-rearing, we should point to the research that reveals why the whole society should highly value it. It molds the morals that make for a strong and healthy economy. This is a profound writing in the sense that there's so many principles and the messages of Our Lady that apply to this. She said all the research points to the vacating of child-rearing or delegating that to others of the child care centers and going to work doesn't work. But, you know, I negate that statement as far as why we need research. You know, we've got it in the Bible, but we're not getting it out of the Bible, so Our Lady comes and gives it to us in the message. But it's just logic. It's just common sense. Remember, Our Lady says Jesus is a light of common sense. These values and these principles need to be taught to children when they're young is just common logic. The fact that people send their kids off or they, they want to get them to daycare, they want to get them other things like these activities, they're just following Satan's tune. It's to get them away from the parents. What better environment for your children to be, the point she wrote in the writing, is it so that go to work or make more money, which, you know, renegades the child rearing. You can form that to your home. If the mother and the children are at home, if the husband even has to work outside the home, the father rather, just the thrift that she can do and generate the things that the needs of the family from sewing to, to canning to keeping a house to doing a little extra doing charity work which is important it's taking the kids out and giving them that example that's tithing of your time but the thrift she can make in the home and homekeeping negates a hefty salary outside of that you know if you're guarding you're doing all these things and the kids are involved in that the dad's involved in making some kind of hard cash maybe it's a premium way to live and the dad comes home, and eventually, you know, you can even evolve into something to run the home. You know, remember, in the 1900s at the census, 90% of all families depended 100% on self-subsistence. In other words, they farmed. Everything they grew, they ate that. Everything they were doing was right there. They, that's, that was a primary occupation. So those that didn't do 100%, their primary means of 
sustaining themselves was not going out and making cash somewhere, was the family milk cow, the, all these things. And people kept saying, well, I don't want to do that. It's not a matter what you want to do. You want to come in harmony with what God created us in that system. And when we try to go AWOL from that, look what happens. And so she made some very valid points about the family. We see the dishonesty. We see the, the moral corruption. We see people are conscious, so it's bad for the marketplace. Consumerism is targeted to children. They bypass. Go get a Happy Meal. They bypass the parents. Put the woman in a child, and he nags the parent till the parent gives in to their wants. So we become a wanting society, never satisfied, because once you reach one plateau of having your want fulfilled, you need something else greater to make that gratification be achieved, and you just keep accumulating. And you never will have enough. Never. Because you'll always want more. And this is in our human nature. And, of course, Lant is about stopping that, correcting or checking the flesh through fasting and penance. And that's what we need. We've got an out-of-control society that wants so much that it's willing to put itself in chains. Imagine 200 years ago saying, I want to sell myself to be a slave. Who would do that? What is the difference in what we've done today with debt? You can't stop working. You're not free. I was free. When our lady called me after I already found Caritas to go full-time with it, I didn't need any funds. Why? Because I wasn't in debt. I needed minimal amount. My house was paid for. My lands were paid for. And I didn't do that the day before that. I'd started in my teens starting off this way. You know, I've guided people toward that. When you're a teenager, don't go. You know, you're living at home. Don't go buy and finance a car. Save and save and save and get something to use that's reliable and get into it and you own it. You set up the whole course of the rest of your life. But if you're 30, you can still do the same thing. It may be not as easy because maybe you're out underneath the house and where everything's paid for. you got expenses, but you still can do it. And this is the philosophies that you need to teach to your children. I've said it before in there. My dad always taught bad credit is the best credit because you won't be able to finance anything. And from there, you're forced to pay as you go. That's the best thing that can happen to us. we got to think, well, i got to have good credit. We gotta get, who's taught that? The accountants and the attorneys and the bankers have taught this. You don't have to have even good credit to survive. And in fact, if you don't, and you've got some, a little bit of initiative and some energy and some ambition, you could get into a position to do something. We talked about that last week, buying a tent. I wasn't joking about that. Today, if a married couple get married, this establish themselves, this is a good thing. So what about doing some penance? You set up the rest of your life. And once you get yourself stabilized, you go from there. But this corruption in the family, this dishonesty, is really, we have a consumer society pointed to family has corrupted it, and we want it to be corrupt. And we've got corrupt because we don't have discernment. We don't have discernment because we don't live the commandments completely. Or we accept them, but only one we don't. You know, we expect our marketplace system to operate and to be there and be honest for us when we want to deal. On the other hand, I mean, just the way people buy things and take them back after they use them. Is it complete honesty to do that? Especially when you're going to clean up, wipe it off after you got the use out of it. Instead of going rent it, you buy it, use it, and take it back. I don't like the way it works. Where's the purity of honesty? It's not there anymore. So you have people that, like a cardinal once told me, we have good people doing bad things. So we don't have a conscience. We're not sensitive, and there's not a purity in the way we do things. And the marketplace doesn't take care of us. Why? Because we don't take care of Sunday. You can't buy or sell on Sunday. And yet we do it, and we tolerate it, and we collaborate with it. You don't work on Sunday, but you'll buy on Sunday. You'll go shopping. You violate Sunday. 
And six days are filled with trouble and woes the rest of the week. So we want an honorable system out there. We want it to be honorable to us. We want people with conscience to be conscientious of what they deal with our dealings. But we're not doing the same thing. We're not doing it with God. We're not honoring God on Sunday. Almost nobody does. And the whole church is not doing it. And I want to say that. The whole Roman Catholic Church is not doing it. All the way up to the top. To the Pope. Yes, he has to go in confession. And you say, whoa, who am I to say that? It's not me saying that. It's God. Honor the Sabbath. Honor Sundays. But see, we've lost our conscience. We have no sensitivity to it. We've learned that in community. And it's caused a great blessing upon us. Matthew 6 says, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All things will be given to you. It says all these things, but that's everything. Every, all your needs will be met. Why are our needs not being met right now? Well, it's directly tied to Sunday. That's the, first. the church doesn't believe in this commandment anymore. It simply does not believe it. The hierarchy all the way down does not believe it. They fly on Sundays. They do this on Sundays. Well, you say, we got to. No, we don't have to do that. We don't. When we discovered it, we stopped all flights on Sundays. We quit doing everything on Sundays. We quit spending money on Sundays. We quit putting anybody in a position of having to work for us on Sunday. Because if we did that, then we were breaking the commandment by working. Why? Because Jesus says, you've heard the sin of adultery. I tell you, he who commits it in the heart has committed consummated adultery. That's a thought. And you can commit that in your heart. What if I go to a restaurant and pay somebody to work for me? You are violating the Sabbath. Don't expect to be blessed the other six days a week. I wrote that once. What you fix on Sunday breaks on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So we're not blessed, and we're not going to be. And this writing at the beginning we read makes a, a very, very good point of what I believe our economic situations are. I don't, it's not my personal opinion. You know, people say, well, that's your opinion. It's not my opinion. Okay, it's fact. It's principle. When we do and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be given to you. All your needs, in other words, will be met. What's the requirement? To honor God's commandments. Why don't we say it the other way around? If we're going to dishonor the Sabbath, we're going to carry on like another day, go to sports events, do things, entertain, go with all this because that's our day and we want to go to the fair, whatever you want to do, play golf. We're going to pay people to be there working for us. We dishonor that. Do you expect God to honor Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? Get real. Get real, people. Get real Christians. It's not even the pagans we're to blame for our problems. We are at fault for this economic collapse. We as a people. Valtor, I think it was, who said, who was atheist, French atheist, said, destroy the Sabbath and you destroy Christianity. Think about that. This godless person, atheist, Valtor, spoke a truth. Destroy the Sabbath. What is your Christianity? What is your judgment of Christianity today in the world? What would you grade it on a one to ten scale right now? Let's say compared to the age of the saints in some of the Middle Ages, the ages of St. Teresa, the ages of Joan of Arc, of the great saints of the early church when it birthed. These people had fiber that were willing to be shredded to pieces by lions. St. Lawrence put on a fire spit and tell the Caesar, turn me, I'm done on this side, in humor. He was in joy. This fiber, do we have it today? 
And what would be your measurement scale? One to ten against those kinds of class of people called Christians. I'm a Christian. Our Lady's Word says, holy martyrs die witnessing. I am a Christian. Speaking of herself, this is her message. That kind of fiber, she says, be perfect because Jesus is perfect. That's what she's wanting us to attain. So what is your scale measurement of Christianity in most Christians today? Not judging them, judging yourself. One to ten compared to those people. The Sabbath alone is our downfall. You fix that, the other commandments will come back in line. So this is a serious thing. It's tied to commerce. It's tied to the marketplace. And this writing so perfectly illustrates this point that we are not going to fix this economy. It's not going to change until we change as Christians. And we start living moral. We start walking the walk. We start talking a walk. We don't do that. And our failure, again, and I want to repeat it and repeat it until you get it, is the Sabbath. If you're going out on Sundays eating, you're in violation. You're dishonored. Don't expect nothing else to work for you. You can do it. You've got free will. But don't bellyache about anybody or who's in the White House. Yes, this president's destroying us. I don't have a bit of problem saying that. It's very obvious. But we get who we are. That's what you've got to remember. We got what we got because we consecrated our nation to God Directly to the Virgin Mary in apparition, July 4th, 2008. We got some pretty bad people in the White House at that point. And it's proven. You do the research. Don't argue with me. Don't come up and say it's not true. It's there. We have communists there. We have people that I want to say the kind of abominations they perform, what, they, what they've done with children. I mean, the White House is filled with this trash. Trash. Do you understand that? Trash. Why did we get that? Because we consecrate our nation to Our Lady. That when Israel continued its sin, God gave them the Syrians to rule them. And what did the Syrians do? Crushed them. We're being crushed because we haven't lived economically. I'm talking about the economy of salvation, living the commandments, living the Sabbath. We haven't done what we're supposed to do, and so we're suffering. So it's very critically important that you understand that. Then we come 2009, July 4th, we give the nation to Our Lady again, and right after this consecration, we have a total economic collapse. And we're bouncing up and down, only in God's mercy to show you, poise yourself, position yourself, repent, change, live the Sabbath, do what you're supposed to do, walk the walk. Not talk it. So it can remedy that. But remember, we came to the 50s, we came to the 60s, and everything was great. They were inventing everything, everything was coming away, but we still had a moral culture in place. Infrastructure was there morally. It only degenerated after two, three decades of us living degeneratively. The economy catches up with those sins. So when we change morally, we start living right today. And that's what all he's trying to get us to do. Step up so that you seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things will be given to you. Once that happens, once God takes that notice of us, he changes around. The economy's not going to change around like a light switch. Remember, it trailed the immorality through the 60s. Think about it. Free love. The trashing. Every song was about rebellion. But still, we live in a general safe culture. But it caught up with us in, in the 80s and 90s, and now it's so degenerated, it's unbelievable. We never imagined that. 30, 40 years, though, of that catching up with us, so it's going to take a while to turn that around. And to turn that around, what happens? God brings us to the knees. And that's what we're seeing today. But you, as an independent family or an individual, can change that. You can start honoring the Sabbath. You can start changing your financial situation. You can start living within your means because it's a sin not to live within your means. To have desire over what you have and what God's given to you or your means of living 
whether it be you make $13,000 a year or $13 million a year. It's all relative. You have to live beneath what you take in. And when you do that, that happens. We're so full of material things and so many things happen. It's been written that I knew a boy whose education was stifled because his father gave him two automobiles and a motorboat. I knew a man who could never accomplish anything seriously worthwhile because he's always tinkering with trifles. I knew another man whose house was so full of rare and costly brick and brat that he was a slave to the care of his collections. Unless we know the differences between flowers and weeds, we are not fit to take care of a garden. It is not enough to have the truth planted in our minds. We must learn and labor to keep the ground clear of thorns and briars, follies and perversities, which have a wicked possibility to choke the word of life. That's what we have right now. We're choked. You know, we're so preoccupied with things. We think we're going to do this. Administration to us as a people, us as baptized Christians, to our priests, to our bishops, to our cardinals, to our pope. We're all tied in this whole thing. We've all been duped. The pope, when he first became pope, says, you don't have to agree with everything he says. We've got to realize that we're all sinners. And yet, by the right of baptism, we all have a right to say what I'm saying right now. And I would say, all the way to the tip top of our church, we were off base on this. We're not enforcing the teaching. I'm not changing the teaching. It's there. Pope Benedict needs to just start preaching it and teaching it and living it all the way down to me and everybody in between. So get real, church. And until you do, nothing's going to change and nothing's going to get better. We've got to understand the fundamental practice of honoring the Sabbath so he'll honor the six days. Dishonoring the Sabbath, he does not honor those days. So nobody's going to change anything. Forget the stock markets. Forget these plans. Forget the housing starts. Forget all the construction. Forget your business. Forget all this and what you, what you got to do. It ain't going to work, people. I'm telling you. You can say it's prophetically said, or you can say it's practically said through common sense. That's the way I see it. It's common sense. But it's prophetic, too, because Scripture is prophetic. And Scripture says that. Our day is prophetic every Thursday. But when everything was going good in 1981, we weren't really having a big time with consumerism. And what we're doing is the sin, but there the were consequences of that. And nothing happens without a serious consequence. We're inheriting consequences of some really bad things for decades now. And it's going to get more bitter. It's not going to get better. It's going to get better for only those who will live the commandments. Our Lady says, live my messages that it goes well for you. She says, live the commandments. What one commandment are you in total violation constantly? The whole church. And that's the Sabbath. So our economic situation is very, very dangerous simply because it's tied as a consequence to our immoral situation, the way we live, and what we tolerate, what we accept in the culture. Yeah, there's a lot of other sins. But if, if you don't fix your small sin, well, ask yourself the question. One commandment, any of the one of the commandments, can they send you to hell? The violation. And yet we see the Sabbath commandment as something that can't send you to hell. You're not praying enough. You don't have any sensitivity. You don't realize the magnitude that all those things... Read the Old Testament. Go read Deuteronomy. Go read Leviticus. It's so much said about the Sabbath. And I know there's people out there who say, oh, that's what they crucified Jesus for. Yeah, they did, because they were extreme the other way. And we're extreme the other way, not living it. We need to be back in the middle with it. We don't have to be radical. But we're radical in not living it. It's extremism to pass this thing off. We need a good childhood from it, from the pulpits. Speak up, priest. Speak up, bishops. Speak up, pope. But you know what? Our lady's not coming there. 
Our lady's not coming to the hierarchy. Our lady's coming to the people. She says, I come from the people. It's we the people. And so we need to start demanding it. We need to start saying, La Salette, France, all those apparitions, which was one apparition, authenticated by the church, was solely about one thing, the Sabbath and its violations. And the consequences of that, potato famines, famines in France, there's consequences, people. This Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and all shall be given to you. It means what it says. And simply put, our economic woes are because of one thing, the immorality, the lacking of the commandments. See it. See, the system and trade and economy and the way things work is a, very complex. Man, when he plays God's trying to control these things, I think he's got some kind of ruling and guiding force over them, doesn't realize the creator guides it in the end. He gets a blessing, he doesn't. If he gets blessed, things will self-correct. So the economy is self-correcting. We don't have to worry about it. We don't have to do panels and all this crazy stuff we keep thinking experts. We don't need any of that. We need to live God's way. He takes care of the rest. Pray fast and let God act. So all I've got to be successful at, all you've got to be successful at, all the way to the Pope be successful at, is praying and fasting and a good will and let God act. We don't let God act. He's not acting today. He's withdrawing. And the more he withdraws, the more destruction we have. Caterpillar, ConocoPhillips, British Petroleum, just pulled out of the U.S. Climate Action Coalition. <laughs> I think that's funny. I think it's really funny. Because our lady just gave a message a few months ago, lies, malice, and arrogance. This whole climate thing is such a lie. It's based on money, again, to get money. Al Gore has made $500 million as his assets off of this thing. And people out there listening to this believe this. Sometimes people write to it. How can you dare say that? The earth is this. Don't you know God made the earth resilient? Don't you know that if you go clear a lot and you leave it within two years, it's covered back over? You know, vegetation grows back. Did you know that what they say, the carbons, we have to have that to breathe? Did you know that more coal extracted out of the ground means that more people are populating the earth and more coal burns and creates the carbons necessary for plant life to thrive? When that plant life thrives, it creates more oxygen for us to live. God's got a mechanism in creation that as the earth gets more populated, more carbons are supposed to be released. It's dangerous not to release the carbons, which causes more plants to eat that, causing more photosynthesis, more growth, and more oxygen. Put that in your hat and chew it. That's the reality. That's science. That's facts. You can't dispute that. The whole climate thing is bogus. Go research what it is. Don't trust me. It's there. We've researched it. We wrote it and look what happened while he's sleeping. It's ludicrous for what we're doing. But Caterpillar just saw the light. ConocoPhillips just saw the light. British Petroleum just saw the light. They're getting out of this. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to build a coal-fired plant. <laughs> Ain't that funny? I love it. Truth is coming out. Why? Because everything not of God is being destroyed. Don't be attached to it. Get out of your global warming thing. Take off your greeny hat. I was just told the Greenpeace, which is a radical green movement, is moving to Iran. I hope the president goes there, Greenpeace, and all the board goes there. Let him go. That's the greatest thing I've heard. <laughs> We've grown not only ignorant. And a lot of this is ignorance. People don't know any. But, but ignorance leads to stupidity. Because it's stupid not to do your research and find out that I'm ignorant of this truth. So our lady's coming because she does want us to be fed. She wants us, you think she wants to see children not get nutrition at the breasts of the mother and dying? Do you think she wants that? This is a consequence of that not happening. Because God says, seek the kingdom of God, all righteous will be given unto you. 
So from there, that's all you got to do. That's the same words as saying, pray fast, let God act. We're out of time. So let's end this and asking the Father to grant us the graces for the scales to fall off our eyes to see where we've contributed to this situation and how we can remedy it. And until next time, we love you. We wish you Our Lady. 